All right, guys, what's going on? Today we have a kind of wide-ranging topic. We're going to be talking about the important health and fitness metrics that we need to be tracking. We're also going to talk about a lot of the distractions that exist currently in our society and uh, where and how wearables, you know, trackable wearables, Fitbits, Apple Watches, and some of those things, how those can play an important part in our fitness picture and where there may be blowing smoke up your ass. Hope you guys have a great week and you enjoy. Welcome to the Friendship Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Binnick, and today we're gonna be talking about all things fitness, wellness, and mindset so that you can be the best version of yourself for everybody and your family and life that loves you and needs you. If we're gonna be a high performer, we're always looking at what edge can we find? And I find that one of the edges that a lot of people are interested in, at least very early on, or even in coming into a gym where they're looking for maybe more guidance and assistance, is we see a lot of Fitbits, we see a lot of Apple Watches, we see a lot of um, whoops, and uh, what is it? Is it Enzo rings or K? I forget what kind of ring. There's a there's a ring type, uh, and I think my mom has it. So if she's watching live, uh, she can maybe type in the comments what type of ring it is, and. There's, uh, there's a bunch of different varieties of these, and this has become really, really big business for people. And so what we're going to talk about is sort of where this actually has value for us and maybe where they're kind of blowing smoke and it's maybe a little bit of a gimmick. And if we're going to be buying it for this reason, we maybe don't even want it or need it. Um, so on to today's topic. So wearables tracking in tech. So how can these help and hinder both our progress in terms of physical progress, but also uh, mindset, which I think is a huge component to this because what we see a lot of times when people are coming into the gym and they were wearing these Fitbits is like a lot of this like, boom, let's check my heart rate, let's check my heart rate, let's check my heart rate, let's check my heart rate. And a lot of times there's a lot of problems with that. Number one is a wrist wearable. We're just going to go right into our next slide here. Uh, our, our wrist wearables really might not track our heart rate effectively. And so when we start to think about, you know, the accuracy of a heart rate monitor, we're going to probably want some degree of a chest strap uh, that's going to be closer to the heart. Now, there's some other ones. And if you guys go around and maybe you guys have been to an Orange Theory or something, you've noticed that they maybe have they've got ones that go onto a chest strap. They've got ones that go onto forearms. They've got ones that go onto wrists. They've got ones that go onto fingers. And so they've got all these different variabilities and each one comes with its own accuracy. And what you'll find is the wrist is really a pretty inaccurate spot to be gathering uh, heart rate information from. So immediately we're not accurate, right? And so that's a that's a huge problem. The second component of that, when we see that issue peaking in, is people don't even necessarily know what they're looking for. And so if we get somebody coming in who's maybe uneducated about heart rate as it pertains to exercise, they don't know what their actual max heart rate is for that type of exercise, then the information you're gathering is effectively worthless. And so we need to make sure that we both have the education and the understanding. Otherwise, I would just tell you during exercise, get rid of that trackable because like I said, it's really not going to be something that's very accurate anyway. And on top of that, if we don't have the information uh, ahead of time for our max heart rate and some of these other things, we're not really going to be getting any value out of that. 
So let's back up a little bit. Let's talk about some of the systemic issues that has led to the you know huge resurgence of some of these trackable things in terms of exercise. And I think the biggest thing, guys, is that we have some of these systemic issues that are always kind of leading to these trends. And if we think about you know, what is really valued in society right now, people are like, oh, data, science, apps, technology, you know, all of these things are implementing, uh, you know, different strategies into our health and fitness. But I don't necessarily think that all of them are valuable. And a lot of it ends up being sort of this like quick fix or, um, you know, just give me the pill because I want to be better now. And there may be pulling the wool over people's eyes that of the work that they're actually getting in. And so, you know, a good example of this might be an orange theory workout, right? The workout in and of itself does have good value for the vast majority of people. But what they've done is they have put these heart rate monitors on people to create sort of a gimmick and to maybe um, distract them from the workout itself. So we're going for the orange zone. We're going for splat points. We're talking about all these things. Um, and in reality, people aren't maybe that's not even necessarily going to have the same accuracy or really the value to that individual that it needs. And so they've sort of gimmicked this uh, to, again, sort of pull the wool over people's eyes of the type of workout that they're getting. And so we have to have some deeper maybe knowledge or understanding to truly understand why we're doing that, why we're tracking our heart rate and why we want to maybe stay in the orange zone. And then also we need to understand what our max heart rate is to understand what the orange zone is. And we have to have an accurate heart rate monitor to understand if we're even in the zone that they want to have us in. So there's a lot of things that would have to happen for us to actually be able to be where we want to be from an orange theory workout or my zone or all these different things that have come on and started to say, oh, it's it's a heart rate tracking or a heart rate uh, driven workout. We're going to try to keep you in this zone because this zone has this specific purpose for it. Um, there's a lot of more, there's a lot more factors that would have to play in for us to actually get the most out of that training style. And so as we start thinking about that, those are all things that are going to play into our topic of conversation today. And then the other last thing on this is ethically, if you guys are a privacy concerned person, which, um, you know, I, I am a little bit, you know, some of the stuff when you start looking at like our societies uh, not caring about, you know, things like the Patriot Act or some of the stuff that Edward Snowden put out and some of those things, it, some of that stuff can be pretty scary. And when you start looking at cell phone companies with contract tracing and with Apple watches and always knowing sort of where you are and starting to gather and gain health information on you and private information and all this different stuff, there's there's some weird slippery slopes that things can go down. And so I do think that some of that stuff might have to play in, but that's a very personal thing. Uh, if you guys are somebody who maybe doesn't enjoy or doesn't like being constantly tracked 24 um, seven, that might be something that plays into the decision for a wearable for you as well, because it is collecting a lot of data and it is giving that data out to third party companies. Um, and those third party companies are using this information to show you different social media posts, to show you different, um, you know, blogs and articles and videos. And it's affecting the algorithms that's showing to your Google accounts, your Amazon accounts, like all this stuff, it all, it all plays in together. And so, um, you know, if you're unfamiliar with that, I highly recommend, you know, diving into some of that stuff a little bit, um, because it, it might scare you a touch. <laughs> so onto, uh, onto wearables. So uh, we talked about accuracy a little bit. 
location is going to be a huge component to accuracy. Uh, there's other factors in, in terms of the quality of the actual monitor itself and also then the variability, right? So where is our, our play and how much is that going to matter for what we're doing, right? If we're just tracking like our heart rate at sleep or at rest, right? And we kind of want to know where our resting heart rate is from a health perspective, a variability of maybe three to four beats per minute, it's maybe not going to make a huge difference, right? Or maybe let's say maybe better like 5% of variability on accuracy might not make a huge percent. But if we're trying to stay in very specific aerobic or non-aerobic zones or really trying to dial in a specific training stimulus as it pertains to heart rate, that five or 10% variability can make a very big difference of whether we're training in that zone or whether we're not training in that zone, whether we're burning sugars or not, right? And so some of those things can be very important in terms of the accuracy that we're going for. Um, from a heart rate variability standpoint, we're going to talk about that a little bit as it pertains to health. Now, this is where some of the science and some of the technology and some of that stuff is actually really exciting. Heart rate variability is a very, very cool thing that is starting to be able to maybe predict or uh, track ahead of time potential health issues, um, adrenal fatigue, stuff that athletes are maybe facing. Some of these other issues, if you're tracking heart rate variability, you can actually start to maybe gain and gather more information uh, about potential health issues, potential recovery issues, uh, training value, and when you're maybe getting overworked or underworked, some of those things. And so that's like where WHOOP is sort of using some of that to uh, tell you what I think they call it your fatigue level is. And so uh, that heart rate variability is a newer idea in science and, and a lot of the stuff that's coming out uh, for it is really pretty exciting in terms of how wearables and trackables are able to collect that data and information on you throughout the day and then put that into gaining sort of a heart rate variability score and consolidating that information into like a number that or like a red, yellow, green, like, okay, it's a green day. I'm fully recovered. My heart rate variability was, was you know, negligible. And so I'm ready to train at full capacity today. Comparatively to my heart rate variability is maybe showing some issues. Those issues are lasting for days at a time. There might be something potentially wrong. Um, I might need to go and get further information from a doctor or, you know, I might need to back off of training or whatever it might be. So those things are all going to play into the value that it's giving you. And if we don't understand some of these things, that's fine. Like as a consumer and somebody who, you know, if you're just trying to work out to like look better in a dress or, you know, or, you know, look better at the pool or for me, like look better with my shirt off or just whatever. Like if that's what you're working out for, that's fine. But I don't think that a lot of the heart rate stuff is going to really have a lot of value for you. And I also don't think if you're going to dive into the science and the information and the value that these things are going to provide, I think that they're sort of generally a little bit of a waste of money. There may be a little bit of a distraction. And if we're constantly checking our heart rate all the time during workouts, we might not be maximizing the workout in and of itself. We might be distracted on this. And I've seen people check it 
and they don't have health issues. Now, if you have health issues and your doctor's told you you need to stay below 160 beats per minute, then that can be a hugely valuable tool for you. But if you're just a normal everyday person, you're checking it and like your heart rate's super high, so you're gonna stop and you're gonna take time off and you're gonna do these things like, it's not gonna be accurate enough on your wrist to give you that information anyway. I've seen people with like, you know, their Fitbit's reading like a 208 beats per minute on like a sustained aerobic workout. That's not accurate at all. And so if they're like, oh my gosh, I I got up to 208 in that workout. It's like, no, you definitely did not. And the accuracy of that and how it impacts your mindset during a workout, um, again, I just think it's a distraction and it's much better for us to be in our own heads, able to pay attention to our own breathing, able to pay attention to our own, um, you know, mental development inside of a workout than it is to constantly have this little like twitch or third party. I'm checking the TV monitor. I'm checking this, this, you know, distraction, um, this, this technological piece that really isn't providing me any real usable feedback, uh, during my workout. So, If you guys aren't going to dive into the information and how it can be used effectively for you, I just recommend not wearing them at all during exercise. Uh, Calories burned. I could go on for days about this. Um, Any wearable that is tracking the calories that you burned on something is just wildly inaccurate, right? Like there's, there's not any you know, proven data or science that like, if you, you know, turn on your Apple watch and you go for a run and you stop it and it says you burn 411 calories. It has no idea what that means. It, it That's just a, it's just a, you know, made up idea or number. There's, there's not going to be anything that's going to be able to, you know, theoretically track that because so many factors play into that. It has to know, like, you know, what type of exercise you're doing, how much muscle mass you have, how aggressive were the contractions of those muscles, what kind of calories are you burning? Like, there's, there's the calories in and calories burned as a theory doesn't really work. So just sort of reduce that from your mind. Like you're burning calories during exercise, but they don't really matter. And they're also not really trackable. And if you're worried about that, you're worried about the wrong stuff. Because if you're worried about calories burned, that means you're probably not focused enough on nutrition, which is calories in, which is what actually matters versus calories burned. And we're going to talk about that when we get more to the health thing. Calories burned is a waste of time. If you're worried about how many calories you burn during exercise, you need to educate yourself on what you're actually exercising for and what you're actually eating for. Because if we're working out for calories burned, we are missing the forest for the trees times infinity. I cannot recommend enough that you just completely remove that aspect of your, like your the lexicon just needs to just go away from that. Um, it's a it's a horrible thing that some treadmill manufacturer back in like 1980 just popped that on and people like freaked out like oh my gosh I burned 480 calories today on the on the treadmill it's, what like that doesn't it doesn't work that way so move on from that. Uh, pedometer and activity tracking. I actually really like this. Um, I actually think that this is where the value really is from wearables and trackables. And I think if you guys are not tracking some of your, you know, daily steps or some of your daily activity, I actually think that this is some of the best, um, you know, use for this because it's going to let you know when you're sitting too much, right? And so a good example, if I was wearing a pedometer today, my steps would be at like 840 because I basically woke up, I sat down with a cup of coffee and I started to work right when I woke up and I haven't really gotten up and walked or done anything. 
So for me, that would be a telltale sign if I hit that and it said 880 steps and it flashed me a little reminder saying, you need to get up and you need to start walking or you need to get up and you need to be active. So then I can go pop out and if I listen to that, I go and walk the dogs and I maybe get three or 4,000 steps in or 5,000 steps. And in an ideal world, we'd be getting somewhere around 15,000 to 20,000 steps on an average day. Now, some people are going to hear that and be like, what? 20,000 steps a day, Jeff? That's crazy. And it's like, well, a lot of it is just going to depend on how much effort and energy you put towards it, how much you're standing for work. But some of these things now, especially with work from home, hugely important to be tracking and understanding if your activity level has dropped significantly and you don't have any metrics or data to understand that, you're not going to be, you know, you're, there's no precipitous of change. You're just going to be sitting, working from home all day, not realizing that you've dropped your activity level a significant amount. And that's huge. That's going to play into a lot of stuff, mental health, physical health, weight gain, uh, blood tests, all the stuff we're going to talk about in a little bit. If your activity level has dropped, which I would assume most people's activity level, their steps per day, their general activity has dropped significantly since the beginning of quarantine. And that is a bigger, more important factor than exercise is. You can't just exercise with intensity for 45 minutes and negate the fact that you sat on your butt the rest of the entire day. So you can't walk 500 steps, like wheelchair your way into a gym, work out super hard for 45 minutes, get back in the wheelchair, go home, lay back in bed, and just, you know, that, that 45 minutes of intense exercise doesn't replace the general activity throughout the day. So I actually think that that's a good one and it's fun for me when people go to like Disney or they go somewhere where like they're at a festival or they're at theme parks or they're on vacation, they're hiking and they, they're able to track how much more active they are. You know, they'll, they'll send me a thing like, hey, I walked, you know, 14 miles today um, at Disney and you're like, okay, cool. Well, that's, I mean, you're super active then. We don't need necessarily on vacations where we're doing that. We don't need to go out and look for intense exercise. And if you guys are walking 14 miles at Disney and you got a kid on your shoulder and that stuff, uh, my guess is you're probably pretty tired by the time you get back to your hotel room and uh, probably just want to go to sleep anyway. And so that's good, right? That's something that we want to be able to track, but we should also be tracking it in our daily lives and something that we should just be familiar with. It's not something you need to track necessarily frequently all the time, but I would track what's normal for you on like a normal day. And I would understand that generally I want to be somewhere in that 12,000 plus steps per day. And if you're starting to track it and you're significantly below that, then we need to start to implement some steps from a health and fitness perspective to increase that activity, to increase those steps per day. Um, and just generally have a reason to get up off of our butts and go and move. Now, the other last two that I know that some of these are tracking now is uh, stress tracking. And a lot of that is going to, again, go back to some of the heart rate variability um, and, again, tracking your heart rates, which I've already expressed the problems that are involved with that. Having some degree of stress tracking would be of value and can be of value. Um, but again, we should be, you know, in a, in a true healthful, high performing, healthful lifestyle. If we're talking about, you know, friendship builds high performers, if we're talking about we're working towards optimal, I would much rather you take, you know, 20 minutes, 30 minutes out of your day to meditate, to sit quietly, have introspective time and 
allow yourself to understand your own stress levels and feel out your own stress levels organically rather than relying on a device to tell us if we're stressed or not. So different ideologies there. Um, Again, we want as much of that stuff to be able to be organic as possible. Like we as humans are incredibly resilient, strong, smart, capable beings. And we only need to really rely on technology for a very few small things, which we're going to talk about here in a little bit. And then sleep tracking, obviously, again, that can be a great one. Um, I actually really like looking at sleep charts. I'm sort of a nerd for it. I don't think anybody's nailed it yet. Like, I do think that there's something left to be desired by uh, the sleep tracking that's been going on in terms of like understanding like when you're in deep sleep, when you're in REM sleep and tracking that effectively. Uh, That technology is relatively new. And I don't think that anybody's nailing it exactly how we're going to go yet. And I don't know how they're going to. Now, if you're going somewhere and doing like a specific sleep study where they're attaching a bunch of nodes to you and they're like tracking your actual like brain waves and stuff that is going to be a much more accurate representation of that but if we're wearing a wristwatch or we're sliding a cell phone under our pillow on our bed uh, there's way too many other factors that can come into play for us to be able to really track that effectively and again when we're talking about organic sleep other factors are going to be, you know, matter way more. So I want you again to be in tune with, you know, how is my mental acuity? How sharp am I? How, um, you know, how much effort and energy was I able to put into my workouts today? You know, did I feel short tempered or frustrated? Was I low energy? Am I tired all the time? Like all these other things. And organically, if we are in tune with our own bodies and minds, we should be able to understand that um, on a deeper level than what, you know, again, uh, a Fitbit or something can tell us. So um, that's some of the ways that we kind of think about wearables and how valuable they can be um, and how we can kind of use that data effectively. And that's from mostly a health perspective. We start thinking about performance, a couple other things that we think about. So heart rate does have value in training. It's important to understand that. But, 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 but we have to understand a lot of different things. So we sort of have to track ahead of time. What is our max heart rate inside of that domain? And so let's say I'm going to be uh, programming some running for people. What I would want to do, and there's a bunch of different ways that you can do this, but I would want to track what that person's max heart rate is. Might even go and do a VO2 max test as well so that I can have that data. And then from that data, and there's there's people that do this. This is what their jobs are full time is they'll track, you know, they'll put the big mask on you. They'll put a heart rate monitor on you. They'll do blood glucose tests and they'll go through and they'll actually get you a chart showing you exactly where your zones are and what those zones training value is. And so you can get this data and information, but it's usually a couple of steps beyond what normal people um, would really want or would really need. And so if you were looking for the value in that training, if you're looking for that 1%, right, if we're talking about like high level athletes or people who really want to find that next 1%, let's say your training age is 10 to 15 years, you're highly developed and you're looking at going from like a four, you know, 51 mile to like a 440 mile, well, you're going to need to understand some of this at that deeper level. And I'm going to need that as your coach to understand and get you the right training splits, the right pacing times and all those things so that you stay in the right zones so that we can attack your weaknesses and continue to make your strengths stronger. 
And if I don't have that information, a lot of times I'm going to be, you know, maybe not as optimal in terms of programming as I could be. So it's very important to understand where the value is. But the value is not in just, you know, having a, you know, number that somebody just says age, you know, minus um, what is it? age minus 35 or no, sorry, 220 minus your age is your max heart rate because that test doesn't hold up. And they've tested that like Lance Armstrong was like the guy where they tested that. And it just it just doesn't work for everybody, especially when you're starting to talk about on the more elite athlete end of the scale. That metric does not work to get max heart rate. And when you're going into like an orange theory and they're giving you this heart rate monitor that attaches to your wrist or attached to your forearm or whatever, um, when they're giving you those things and they're calculating your max heart rate, that's how they're doing it. It's very back of the napkin, but it takes in no value of, of who you are. So you could have a 35 year old uh, like me who goes into Orange Theory and they're gonna assign me the same max heart rate as somebody who's maybe never worked out a day in their life. They're, they might be extremely overweight. Um, they might not be able to even go into a run on the treadmill. They might have to stay at a walk, but we're being assigned the same max heart rate just due to age. And so there's a lot of other factors that have to play into that. And so we have to understand that deeper level, that deeper value um, of where it can be. And it is a very high end performance metric. And so, again, I would tell you guys, if you're not going to be at that high end performance or if you guys are a training age of less than maybe I would say eight years and you're really only pushing for that highest end of performance, knowing what your heart rate is in a workout is not going to provide you any value. There's nothing that you'll gain from it. And in reality, it's probably more of a distraction than it is a benefit. So I just lose the Fitbit during exercise. Don't worry too much about it unless you want it to track your steps and your activity throughout the day, generally. Um, And again, don't read anything into the calories that says you burned, whatever, whatever. Okay. Uh, the value from a recovery standpoint, again, we talked a little bit about heart rate variability. We are not going to necessarily worry too much about that. The Again, unless we're really dialing into a good system that we understand. Um, and I think the only real value from that uh, heart rate variability and recovery standpoint is it might tell you or give you an alert ahead of time when you are becoming slightly overtrained. And so if you're feeling fatigued, And the data that you're receiving is that you're fatigued or that you have a high heart rate variability or you're not sleeping well or you are stressed or, uh, you know, whatever it might be. And that coincides with the the you know meditation aspect of what we're talking about, where you're like sitting down, you're taking an hour or two, and you're sitting down, and you're like, man, I just feel smoked all the time, I'm stressed all the time, I'm angry, I'm short tempered, I'm this, I'm that, I'm this, I'm that, and my wearable is telling me that that's true. Then I might need to think about backing off in training for a little bit. So I do think it has some value in that, um, and those are really the two two main things that we talked about: steps and activity. So uh, let's talk about tracking metrics that matter. Let's talk about data and let's talk about science and stuff that actually can really, really matter. And let's talk about what a high performer or what a health focused person um, is going to have. And what I'm going to focus on last year, guys, is I'm actually going to focus on um, some of these blood tests. So, uh, all right, where do I want to start with this? So 
from a blood test perspective, I put on here that you should be getting these one to two times a year. And this is one of those things that um, I think a lot of young people maybe don't necessarily do. So, um, you know, me, when I got out of the army, obviously in the army, you're doing blood tests, you have physicals and all those things that you guys have to do. And when I got out of the army, I did, you know, my last blood test, you go through your, your physical to get out of the army. And then from that day, I think I was 25 when I got out of the army, I didn't go to a doctor for 10 years. And so I went to the doctor for the first time uh, this past year. And this was the first blood test that I had gotten since uh, since that army test. And so it had been a while. So I didn't have a lot of data and metrics to track. And, you know, I had really serious bouts uh, throughout this time of I didn't have any health insurance for, you know, five, six years as a small business owner. Uh, that's obviously something that's extremely expensive and challenging to afford. And so, um, you know, I'm thankful now that, you know, me and me and my wife are able to have and afford, uh, you know, health care for us and some of our employees and small business. Um, but that was a big reason that played into this. And so there's a lot of young people out there who are not able to afford to or even able to go in and get some of these tests. And so uh, there are ways that you can do it that are relatively inexpensive. And I know that a lot of young people don't think it has value. But what we see a lot of times is people get into their 30s or their 40s and they haven't had these blood tests or they maybe don't know what they're looking for. And all of a sudden you wake up one day and your doctor tells you that you're pre-diabetic. And at that point, you're like, oh, man, like if we could have caught this when you were 28, had you been getting blood tests, we could have seen this coming. If you were doing it one to two times a year, we could see that slow, steady increase. The doctor could have told you this and you could have come and started working on your nutrition. You could have come and started working out when you were younger and, and more fit. And it would have been easier. Right. It's it's a lot like retirement. It's easier to start earlier. But I do understand that as young people, we don't necessarily always understand the value of it. So I want to talk just briefly about this today and I'm going to show you guys oh sign me out all right now hopefully I'm not like going through any weird HIPAA stuff here <laughs> um, but I am going to try to show you I don't know what's on here so hopefully you guys don't all go back and like hack my hack my stuff here um, so I want to go to test results and so this is the My Health panel. And so um, I highly recommend that it, it, you guys can get in on this um, and it's very uh, nice to have this in an app and an aspect that I can always go and look back on. And so what we're gonna focus on today, and there's a bunch of different stuff on here that we can look at, but I got this test and I was able to then go and really dive into each and every one of these. So again, if you guys are getting blood tests, I highly recommend going somewhere where somebody can explain what is important and what you need to be looking at. Because a lot of times the doctor's gonna give you a blood test and so for me, I went in, I got my physical, I got my blood test and I got sent these results from the doctor days later. Nobody explained anything. Now you can click on some of these and you can get more information, but if you guys are at a point where you maybe are not in great health and you're worried about that, I highly recommend discussing, discussing these things with a dietician, um, talking to any doctor friends or anybody that you might have in terms of, hey, what should I be looking at here? What is 
is really important. And what I'm going to focus on today, guys, is glucose and A1C levels, because if we're talking about diabetes, we're talking about pre-diabetic and stuff, this is maybe the number that we want to focus on the most. This is also one of those things that can be very, very heavily impacted by good nutrition and exercise. And so um, when we look at glucose or what some people are going to talk about is A1C levels, we can do this. So I got a glucose number. So my value is 88 milligrams per DL. Um, and again, not a doctor. So um, so don't like don't freak out on me here. Um, but what you can do is you can take this number and then we look at A1C is typically defined as a percentage Okay, And when we start to look at that, the estimated average glucose down here is going to be milligrams per DL. Okay, And so when we start to look at this, what we're going to do is go here and you can just research this on the American Diabetes Association. This is a calculator that takes your glucose that's given. So for me, I had 88 mg per DL. And I go here and I enter that and I hit calculate and it gives me my A1C percentage. And so I'm at 4.7%. Okay, A1C, and if we look at that, 6.5% is where diabetes happens, 5.7% is where you're pre-diabetic, anything sub 5.7 is where we're in that healthy normal zone. Okay, and so this is highly accurate data and information taken from a blood test that's giving you tangible, real results. Right. And this is what we want to be looking at is we want to be looking at real things that provide us real results that tell us something important. And then same thing. I can look at look over all my cholesterol, my uh, HDL, LDLs and all of these different things. And again, if you guys don't understand what these are, you need to be taking them to somebody who can explain these things to you, because this is something that's going to show you in the future. If you're going to be on medication, if you're going to have to spend a lot more money on, you know, um, doctor's visits, health insurance, what type of health insurance do I need to have? Do I need to have catastrophe coverage because I'm a very healthy person or do I need something where I'm going to be able to need to see the doctor? I need something that's got great prescription medication, whatever it is. So this is all things that you guys need to be paying attention to. So going back here, blood tests, you want to be checking that stuff at least once or twice a year. And again, I did not follow my own advice there when I was younger, and I know most people don't, but definitely something that we should be tracking in terms of having an understanding of what those things are, how they compare with past previous results, and making sure that we are communicating with doctors or people that are knowledgeable about what those tests mean. If we are getting somewhere, like the cool part about, again about this my chart is it shows you standard range. So you can see my cholesterol is pushing on the high end here, right? But you can see also that my HDL is also above the standard range, giving me a solid ratio. Okay, so as we go back over here, then uh, other metrics to track. Now, I think body fat percentage is the health metric to track in terms of something that's pretty easily doable. So there's all sorts of different ways that you can do this. There's more accurate. There's less accurate. Uh, there's a DEXA scan down. Shout out to Grandview, Grandview Primary Care. Uh, they've done a lot of work with our athletes, and I highly recommend that. That DEXA scan gives you a great readout. I think the doctor even go over it with you. And again, they're going to do blood tests. They're going to do that. So that's a great option for people. 
Uh, as we look at the next step down, you're looking at like bod pods, in bodies, fit 3Ds, some of those uh, more technologically driven. Now, those do have you know issues with them. Um, and then maybe on a different end of that that's more manual is we can do like an old school caliper test. Still very, very valuable. The more points of contact that we do, so like a seven point test uh, is pretty standard, but we can do more points of contact that's going to give us more accurate information. And the idea, the key here is to pick sort of one or maybe two data points and get those connected consistently because usually they're accurate to themselves. So the nice part that I like about the in-body is pretty accurate to itself. And so if we keep all of our you know test uh, controls equal, so same time of day, same stuff eaten or preferably fasted, we follow all the rules, we're hydrated, all that stuff. Um, you know, if you're a woman, you're on the same type of cycle. Shout out to Shelby. Uh, you're on the same, uh, you know, date in your cycle. And so you, you track all those things. If all that stuff is equal, you're going to get a pretty accurate response to itself. All right. So tracking that is extremely important because we want to be maximizing skeletal muscle mass and minimizing fat, right? So that's always everybody's goal. Everyone's like, well, I want to lose weight. No, you don't. You want to lose fat. It's important to have the right conversation because you need muscle. And if you're, again, so we're just gonna hammer on a couple people here, right? If, if you're worried about calories burned and you're a woman and you're not worried about muscle mass, I'm just gonna throw women under the bus there, then you need, it's time to start working on the mindset, right? Because muscle mass is the important metric for women as they age. It is exactly equal to everything, capability, health, function. You, you need muscle mass and you grow muscle mass better when you're younger. And so if we're worried mostly about calories burned and being skinny and we're not building muscle, it's akin to waking up one day when you're 50 and being like, oh, hey, I should start saving for retirement one of these days. Well, the best time to do that was 30 years ago. You're not going to wake up at 50 and be like, oh, I need to put on, you know, I really need to work on my muscle mass. You're not going to grow it effectively enough or as effective as you could have when you were younger. So we have to put value in that. So we have to track it. Anything that we need value in, we need to track. We need to understand where my fat, how much fat poundage I have in my body, how much muscle mass poundage I have in my body. And I should always be working to either maintain or elevate my muscle mass and maintain or decrease my body fat, right? And that's those are like main health goals. It has nothing to do with looks. It has nothing to do with like, I'm not worried about magazine covers. I'm not worried about what you look like in a bikini. I don't care. Just from a health perspective, these are things that are important to your health, okay? So when we start looking at that, those two things impact directly basal metabolic rate, which is BMR, and total daily energy expenditure, which is TDEE, okay? The difference between the two is basal metabolic rate is how many calories you are going to burn, how many calories your body is going to utilize if you were to just sit on a couch and not move and have zero energy expenditure, have zero activity throughout the day. So how much at rest your body burns, right? Just to blink your eyes and breathe and use your lungs and to pound your heart and to just exist, okay? Your TDEE is going to take that BMR number and it's gonna add in your activity level. Okay, so a more active person, somebody who's walking all day, somebody who's at Disney all day, somebody who's working out you know, three times a day, it, their total daily energy expenditure is going to be way above their BMR. So their BMR might be something like 1,800 calories a day at rest. 
Okay, their total daily energy expenditure might be like 4,140 calories because they're walking all day. They're on their feet all day. They do two workouts a day for an hour and they're extremely active. So their activity level is going to burn a significant amount more calories. Now, if we have low muscle mass, that means our basal metabolic rate is going to be lower. Okay, so muscle at rest burns calories. Okay, it takes more calories to feed a muscle than it does to feed fat. And so the real simplistic version of health and fitness is get your total daily energy expenditure number as high as possible. So that means that your basal metabolic rate is as high as possible, which means we're maximizing the fat or sorry, the muscle mass that we have in our body. You're not you don't want to maximize the fat in your body. So we're maximizing the muscle mass. We're maximizing the calories burned at rest and we're maximizing the activity. So we're stacking on top of that. And that's how you become Omar. For those of you guys who don't know Omar, Omar is like the most shredded, like Jack, like muscular Adonis looking individual that most of us know. And he also like slams pizza and ice cream and all these things. Well, that's because he's like 200 pounds of muscle and he is obscenely active all day long. And I mean active in like every front, like when you meet him, he's energetic, he's hugging you, he's bouncing off walls, he's smiling, he's laughing, he's joking, he's having fun, he's up and then he was working out and then he's you know lifting weights and he's trying hard and he's got high energy and effort. And so his total daily energy expenditure is like Michael Phelps level. It's like people, you know, if when you guys watch those Olympics with Michael Phelps, I was like, he eats 6,000 calories a day. It's like, well, yeah, his total daily energy expenditure is like 6,200 calories a day. He has to eat that much to stay up with it. Otherwise, he's going to start losing his muscle mass. So those are all important numbers for us to track. And again, if we're breaking down health, it can really be simplified to like three numbers. If you guys just want to understand like, and this is going to be everything because health is going to lead, health and performance are going to be better metrics to track. And when you have those things, you're going to look the way you want to look. Like that's the that's the way to look at it. The problem is everybody want, tries to worry about the looks first and they don't worry about the health and performance. And it doesn't work that way. You can't have one without the others. It's gotta be the other way around. We've gotta focus on health first, performance second, and then, and only then, the looks will come and you'll look the way you wanna look. So that is the right mentality for us to be in. When we go back to wearables and trackables, if the wearables and trackables and the things that we're tracking, if we're tracking like weight on a scale, you're tracking the wrong thing because that has nothing to do with health or performance. Zero. Well, maybe not zero, but very minimal, right? And when we start looking at like um, oh, like BMI, again, a terrible metric because it takes into no account how much muscle mass, how what your total daily energy expenditure is, how body fat percentage has. It, it doesn't take any of that into account. Terrible metric, right? And so when we start looking at some of those things that are pretty common, right? And I always had to, uh, I always had to test, uh, do the body fat percentage test in the army because as a BMI, I was obese. And so then you would go and do the body fat percentage test and you're like six or 7% and you're in the line because the BMI shows that you are obese because it doesn't take into account muscle mass, doesn't take into account any of the real things that actually matter. And so if we're boiling it down to three numbers, the three numbers that we want to maximize are body fat percentage, we want to be as low as possible, muscle mass, we want to be as high as possible, and then total daily energy expenditure, which 
involves BMR, we want to be as high as possible. And then we're using our blood tests to track any of those other important metrics. But if you're maximizing those first ones, if your body fat percentage is low, your muscle mass is high, and your total daily energy expenditure is high, I would bet every dollar that I owned that your blood tests are going to be dialed in. Okay? So, as we start looking at that, the other metric, the other thing that we can start to play in and track, obviously, is performance tests. And this is one of the things that uh, I do think recently has been much better. And I do think that this is a huge advent of the CrossFit push is that it's shifted focus a little bit from what do you bench or what's your marathon time? which are obviously very narrow scopes of, you know, taking performance and it's expanded the definition a little bit, right? And so in the army, it's they they take your entire performance fitness package and they used to boil it down to 2 minutes of push-ups, 2 minutes of sit-ups and you run 2 miles. And that was how they gauged where your your you know health and performance was at. Then you did a BMI test, and then they would do a body fat percentage test if you tested off the scale from a BMI perspective. And that was how they really quickly, in a very succinct, tight way, uh, measured your sort of health. Um, now they've advanced beyond that and they've created more performance test metrics that involve things like this third one, deadlifting, right? Obviously, in the military, there's a lot of ruck marching. There's there's other things. So they've added more to their test, right? But if we had to really simplify, if I wanted you to be as healthy of an individual as I could possibly create, I would track these four metrics here, and I would be able to gain a pretty accurate picture of what's going on up here, and I would also be able to gain a pretty accurate picture of you know probably what you you know looked like in a bathing suit, okay? And so let's talk about this. So 2K row or one mile run, right? And so for that, we're testing a bunch of different things, but we're, we're testing sort of power output more than anything, right? Inside of this domain where we also have to sort of deal with some of the aerobic implications, some of the metabolic, uh, you know, how are we eating? How does our energy flow between anaerobic and aerobic? Um, so a really good test and good time domain here. Uh, for me, I, you know, I like to set floors rather than ceilings. So everybody's always like, well, you know, I want to, I want to run a five minute mile or I want to, you know, row a sub seven or sub eight 2k, or I want to deadlift 500 pounds or I want to do this. So they set ceilings, they set goals in terms of aspirational highs. I like to set more floors. So for me, I can't go above a 652 K row or I can't go above a six minute mile. So for me, I'm always just testing these things to make sure that I'm still capable and I can still do these things and stay inside those time domains. And for me, I know if I can meet the metrics that I'm going to tell you guys here, then I know that the stuff up top is going to stay pretty dialed in as well, right? So if I'm maintaining these times and scores on the performance tests, and I go and I track my body fat percentage and my muscle mass and I'm where I want to be, then I know when I go to the doctor and I get my blood tests that I should be pretty dialed in, that I should be in good health, okay? 
When we look at one minute max push-ups and pull-ups, what we want to be thinking about here is this is again strength to body weight ratio, which is a little bit what deadlift is going to be. So this is what's called relative strength, okay, as opposed to sort of raw strength, right? So relative strength is your strength relative to your body weight. And that's what our one minute max push-ups or max strict pull-ups are going to be testing. So we want to be able to make sure that we're maximizing here. If you guys are looking for good numbers for guys, you're probably in that 50 zone for the push-ups, 40 to 50. Uh, ladies, you guys are probably somewhere in that maybe 15 to 30. I know it's a big range, uh, but obviously for a lot of us, we're still maybe working on our first push-up or our first pull-up. And this is a big thing for us because to get a pull-up for most people, that means that we're going to have to be maximizing muscle mass, minimizing fat in our body. And so we're going to have to fix some of the things up top through nutrition, through exercise, through a disciplined lifestyle. And we're going to have to be working on increasing our strength. So at the same time, so uh, some other cool factors sort of play in. And again, if we're maximizing those things, if we're developing some of those um, those numbers, we're going to be doing really, really well on the rest of our health metrics. Okay. Uh, from a pull-up perspective, you know, guys, I think we should be able to, in one minute, be able to do somewhere between 10 and 15. Ladies, I think we should be able to do somewhere between 5 and 15. And obviously, um, you know, we all know females who can just, you know, cruise past those numbers um, and and guys who can cruise past those numbers. So, um, so again, great aspirational goals, um, you know, for me in terms of max push-ups, I always think that I have to be able to do 40 in a row without stopping is sort of my floor. And from a max pull-ups perspective, I'm always a 15 strict without... Like, Again, without breaking, without stopping in a row is my floor. Those are the absolute floors that I have to be able to keep up above uh, when I test those things. Deadlift as a percentage of body weight. And so this is one that I tell people a lot of times when they join gyms is you should be able to deadlift one time your body weight. That's something that should be an aspirational goal for somebody inside of their first one to three years of training age. Uh, if you, we can't do that, there's some pretty serious implications for that in terms of our raw strength. So, um, so that's sort of step one. Step two and where we'd like to be optimally for me, I'm always thinking I need to have a double body weight deadlift. Now, when a performance aspect, like we have people who can do three times body weight deadlifts, um, but anything above a two times body weight deadlift means you have probably a pretty good, um, you know, raw strength uh, capacity. And so you can do this with back squats. You can do it with whatever you want, right? This could be a bench press metric, um, but I like the deadlift because it's probably the most functional of all those, like bench press, not super functional. Uh, back squat, you know, moderately functional, right? deadlift very functional so this probably you know people are always picking stuff up off the ground i think i probably went 20 years of my life without doing a real squat so um so sort of a, sort of a better metric in my opinion and then a 60 minute ruck march at a distance and a pace so at first, it might just be 60 minutes of walking. Like, how far can you go? Um, you know, we want to be able to keep up a sub 15 minute pace when we're walking. And so until you can get at that 60 minute, until you can reach four miles inside of an hour, just flat walking without any weight, that would be our first goal. Second goal from there would be to start adding weight up to somewhere between 35 and 45 pounds for gentlemen, between 25 and 35 pounds for women. Again, it's more of a relative to your body weight perspective. But again, maintaining that same pace. And so at an elite level, you'll see people keep up a sub 12 minute pace at somewhere between 35 and 50 pounds. And again, that's going to be like military zones um, where you're looking at rangers. You're looking at some of those people that are more elite level, um, 
on the rec marching aspect of that. So a, a great, you know, total aerobic uh, piece and also, again, very functional to everyday life. So I've gone a little bit long today and I hope that this was educational in some way for people. I wanted to base this conversation mostly around uh, the efficacy of wearables, but also not just provide you guys with the fact that they may not be overly valuable to you or where at least you can gain the value from them before you spend three and four and five hundred dollars on something. This is going to continue to be in our face more and more. There's going to be more tracking of your health. Uh, There's going to be more digitization of these things. And we need to not be duped by fancy marketing and maybe understand more of what are the real things I need to be worried about and what are things that are just purely marketing that's just pulling the wool over my eyes and distracting me from real health metrics. And so if I had to blanket sort of one societal thing to sort of wrap up the whole conversation, is there are people that can tell me today how many calories they burned in their workout, but have never tested their body fat percentage, don't know what any of their blood tests mean, and have never done one of these performance tests. And that in and of itself is a failure of our system. It's a failure of everything, health, marketing, all of that stuff. It's a total, complete failure. And the fact that more people are understanding of some of these more vanity style metrics um, and not understanding of real metrics that actually matter, then I think that that's sort of the issue. Um, so uh, that's sort of going to wrap things up for today. Hope you guys went well um, and I uh, hope this was educational for you guys.